0: That's my addition to our little intro intro track. Uh, welcome to the Angry Sun Zone. Uh, as usual, I'm Alex. I'm Santo. And yeah, I'm Sean. And today we've got an episode focused on one of our favorite game series. Uh, we've all played it uh, too much. We've all spent far too many turns on this game. Uh, and... There's always one more turn waiting for you. We're talking about Civilization today.
1: Hell yeah, we are. Sid Meier's Civilization, as a
2: matter of fact. Yes. Indeed, indeed, indeed.
0: Yes, as well as a few spin-offs, such as the first Civilization game that I played, which was actually Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, which is a cool entry in the series that I'm just going to start talking about right away. Sounds good. Um, yeah, because well, it was the first. It was the first one that I played. Um, it's a lot closer to, I believe, Civ Two, because mm-hmm. uh, it was it was released between Civilization Two II and Three. Uh, but it was kind of cool because it had some mechanics that have not really been seen in the series since, uh, without extensive modding. Uh, But a brief breakdown of what is Civilization, uh, for those of you who don't know. So Civilization is what is termed a 4X game. Uh, It's actually, essentially, the genre-defining series. Uh, Many of the uh, conventions of the 4X uh, genre were basically uh, invented by Civilization, the early games in particular. Uh, And it stands for Expand, Explore, Exterminate, and Exploit. And basically, the concept of forex games in general is that uh, you have a sort of civilization or empire or uh, whatever you want to call it, and you ex- you having fun with the dog there, Sean? Yeah, she's licking my knee and it tickles. Oh man, <laughs> uh, that that that's a that's an take Or is it? Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So. Basically, you have an you have a, a, a empire or civilization. You start typically with uh, one city, maybe a unit or two, and then you can found new cities. That's the explore part of it. Uh, exploring the map and founding new cities, build units. Uh, you can uh, basically extract resources from the environment, uh, and then so that's the explore, expand, exploit, and then you can crush your enemies. With the units you build um that's often a win condition though not the only one many foreign mm-hmm. games have alternate win conditions such as uh, advancing along the tech tree to uh basically uh, complete a major project or uh diplomatic. yeah diplomatic victories or uh in some of the more recent in some of the later civilization games there is a cultural victory and, and a science victory. Yeah, the science victory is the tech tree victory. Ah, yeah.
1: yes. Okay. Well, in, in Civ specifically, well, non Alpha Centauri Civ games, it it's launching into space.
0: Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. So the uh, in Civilization, you the the science victory in Civilization is launching a rocket to Alpha Centauri, and then they made a game <laughs> Alpha Centauri, yeah, where the rocket that was sent to Alpha Centauri. Uh, basically blew up and stranded various people, yeah. uh, various groups from the original settlers.
1: So remember, whenever you start a game in Alpha Centauri, you're like, you are canonically the victor of
2: a Civ game that previously happened. Yep. <laughs> they came up with, I guess, like a sequel or a spiritual sequel in some way to that in the Civ series. And the name of it is just on the tip of my tongue. Beyond Earth? Yes civilization beyond earth not quite the same as uh, alpha centauri from what i've heard it doesn't feel truly like the spiritual successor from from what i heard about beyond earth it was basically just like a
1: full conversion mod for civ 5 it was the same thing but in space whereas alpha centauri i believe was Different, a fair about different. I, I've never played so, Alpha Centauri
0: myself. So, yeah. Alpha. So the biggest, okay. So there's a few differences with Alpha Centauri. One of the biggest differences uh, in terms of the overall strategy is that there is a. I would say that the the uh, NPC. So in Civ, there are some barbarians and barbarian towns. They're pretty much a distraction. They don't. They're not a major challenge, really. Uh, they slow down your expansion slightly, but they don't really do much other than that. They keep you honest.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen games where somebody has lost to a barbarian.
2: Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get there requires you to truly extend your resources and put yourself in a vulnerable position. Yeah. So if you're making those kinds of maneuvers, you know there is a there is truly a risk factor to it that isn't just you know. The other players are not paying attention. (laughs) To be fair, this happened to somebody who was extremely new to the game.
0: Yeah, so, so, but in in Alpha Centauri, there's actually a. uh, They have these like psychic brainworms that spawn on the map, and there's like uh, sort of like hives that spawn them. And they're actually a major challenge, especially because uh, I believe the combat system in Alpha Centauri is a bit mixed, because there is psychic damage that is separate from uh, physical damage basically and you have different stats for it I, I believe uh and so that makes those psychic units actually fairly uh, fairly powerful sometimes uh, and it, it it really uh i would say you're spending a lot more effort just navigating a hostile environment uh mm. with your uh expansion early game in alpha centauri um uh, the other one of the other cool things about Alpha Centauri is that it has a unit builder uh, oh, you can cool. you can create your own vehicles and and, and. aircraft and, and stuff like that it's really cool it's a complete it's a huge time sink huge time sink uh, but it's also just it's just a really cool thing to do, to, uh, to do um, and then also uh, especially with the exp- I think this was in the expansion but Alpha Centauri also has water cities uh, which is kind of the cool kind of a cool thing to to have in the game and um uh, i i think that there's unit experience in it which isn't in all civ games but it is in the later ones yeah although yeah it's been in like the past yeah since four i guess
1: since so. three
0: really oh then i guess yeah the unit yeah. promotion started in well
1: in in i think in uh, it might be well in terms of like do you mean like you can choose different, like, skills for your units and stuff? No,
0: no. uh, You know what? I don't remember exactly how it works, to be honest.
1: Because I know in Civ 3, at least, you, you know, leveled up, and then your units just, you know, got stronger. Whereas for Onwards, you got to choose, like, different abilities when you promoted.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm
2: just uh, flipping through some notes on Civ. Wow, they've got... uh... People also had some high notes about the storyline. What, what was your thoughts on the storyline, Alex?
0: The storyline in Alpha Centauri? Yeah. Um, the writing in Alpha Centauri was really cool, actually, because they have... Uh, it's obviously sci-fi themed, and all of the factions are fairly different. And so you've got... Like, there's a faction that uh, essentially is... They're like, yeah, we're just going to be a human hive mind. You know, we're gonna be we're we're gonna turn humans into into the Zerg, right? That's like one faction's whole deal, right? Um, you got like a faction that's like utopian space hippies, right? We're just gonna solve everything with technology and love. <laughs> um, you got uh, you got like a, a a faction that's like sort of like bioengineering. They're just gonna uh, you know. Bioengineer the shit out of everything. Uh, so they, they had a really cool lore about the different factions and some of the different uh, features of the factions were sort of interesting. Um, yeah, so cool. It was, uh, it was
2: cool. That sounds like a great introduction to the Civ series.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. Other than like other than that, like a lot of the a lot of the core mechanics are really quite similar. I mean, you're building units and exploring the map you're founding new cities and um, building improvements using your workers on the tiles and stuff and then using that uh, using the various uh, city control uh, city controls to kind of like place place your resources uh, place your population on different resource tiles to get different types of resources like money or uh, minerals or whatever I can't remember there's definitely food, money, and, like, production. Yeah, the staples. Yeah, yeah, the staple kind of resources in Civ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably most of the... Uh, well, most of the
1: uh, Centauri, Um Just to get a feel for the room, did anybody here play uh, Civ 1 or 2? Because I
0: haven't. <sighs> I think I might have played a tiny bit of Civ 2, but not. For the most part, actually, maybe I didn't. I might be just getting mixed up.
2: I believe that the only exposure I've had is actually watching someone else play. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen people play the original Civ, but never played it myself. I started with Civ 4, I believe, was the first one that I played. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I played Civ 3. I don't think I have. I, I started with Civ three, and I got
1: Civ threes through the uh, Scholastic book program That's at school. Because nice. cool. they they would occasionally have a couple of video games in there, so I would circle that and give it to my parents. And be like, look, it's education, and so it's just like the only time, other than awesome. birth, other than birthdays and Christmas, the only time I could ever get them to give <laughs> me give me games. Uh, so yeah, that that was my introduction, but. As you can imagine, considering I got through the scholastic book pro- program, I was too young and stupid to be playing those game that game. I had no fucking idea what I was doing. I didn't. I. I. I just did not. I just like like to build cities and just mess around with it. I didn't really know know the mechanics. Like I didn't know that your cities wouldn't go past a certain population if you didn't have fresh water, for example.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I have no clue. Yeah, I mean I remember I remember playing some Civ 3 with you and even even then it's funny because I I'm not sure if some of those mechanics I was even aware of at the time either. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean there's a lot of depth to the civilization games and yeah, if you're playing them at like 12 years old, you're going to yeah. be kind of lost
1: especially if if you don't read the manual because that was back
2: when you for games like that you had to read the manual (laughs) for sure for sure And, and it's interesting because i think that that would have come out around a time too when you like the manual was pretty much the only alternative other than talking to your friends in terms of like there wouldn't be too many online resources for games like that that we would that i remember being aware of at the time I mean, yeah, you could certainly
1: like try to look stuff up, but it's not like every, it's not like now where every game has its own wiki, where you have just have all the information available. You have to rely on random people posting on awesome HTML only websites. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> what are your favorite games. I actually remember there being a website. Uh, the website that I learned about, um, uh, Civon. The guide came in a text format, so I actually went onto a website and downloaded a text file in order to learn more about this game, <laughs> and uh, that was uh, that was how I started getting better um, at the time. So that's that's an interesting memory. Yeah, well, one of the coolest things that I thought about
1: Civ three was like I played a fair amount of just random matches against the AI and constantly lost because I didn't know what I was doing, but they also had a couple different scenarios, which had like their own unique units and unique resources that you could collect, and that was really cool. Like I, pl- I played the Japan, I played the Japan scenario a ton, because one of the uh, factions that you could choose there, their logo, well, their logo, their flag was a Triforce. <laughs> <That's>
0: <laughs> um, awesome.
1: So I was just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna play the Tojo Clan every time, because the Triforce people. Yeah, Civ well, 3 was definitely an introduction, but yeah. Civ 4, though, is where all, I, I think IV all of us definitely thing. cut our teeth.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Civ 4 Civ was, uh, I think, for the style of uh, how the game functioned before the major changes in Civ 5, Civ 4 was basically the pinnacle of, uh, of the series. Uh, especially, mm-hmm. especially once the expansions uh, kind of fleshed out a few more things, it was just it was very, very well made.
2: Uh, especially with the introduction of was it uh, Leonard, Leonard Nimoy? Nimoy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I still remember some of his quotes in he, my head. He, he...
0: Every time he unlocked a unlocked a new technology on the tech tree, Leonard Nimoy would just narrate some historical quote.
2: Yeah, catch a cool. fish and you will feed a man for a day. Teach a man to fish and you will feed him for a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> and then the. Uh,
1: Stop fishing, yeah. The uh, s- new text that they introduced in the expansion, it was actually Sid Meier who read the uh, descriptions for those. Oh, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, but I-, I-, I certainly had. Uh, a f- my strategies for the different Civ games definitely like, changed between them. My go-to strategy in Civ Four was I generally played uh, Catherine, and I generally played as Ethiopia, when <laughs> and just like turned on the you know mix and match leader and Civ because you know the Civ has their the unique building unique units of that Civ, but the leader has a couple different leader traits that you know can pretty drastically impact the game. So with Catherine, she had. Creative, which was you get extra culture and extra production towards one or two different culture buildings, I think. And culture is what makes your borders expand. Yeah. As I also, uh, she was imperialistic, which meant you had double production on settlers, as well as uh, one other bonus that I forget. And Ethiopia had the uh, stel, which replaced the monument, which was the first culture building. Which gave your city uh, plus plus twenty five percent extra culture. So I was all about that expansion in Civ yeah. Four. I just wanted to take up as much of the map as possible. Never enable open borders with anybody, and just try and like yeah. slice a put a line. In the sand, throughout whatever landmass I was on, and say like this is my territory, you cannot pass there, and I'm gonna slowly take all the territory behind me. Yeah, as <laughs> yes. I, And
0: as I, as I recall, the way the the way the happiness like game mechanic worked in Civ four, it made that a dominant strategy.
1: Well, it made that it if you didn't understand how it worked, which I didn't for a little bit, it could be a really a really big problem because if you expand too much. Like, the game has checks and balances for that, to where you need more, uh, if you have too much population, you need more luxury resources and, uh, entertainment buildings to keep your population happy and working, and if you expand too much, like, every new city that you make, uh, costs you more gold and upkeep, especially as they get farther and farther away from your capital, uh, without, you know, other buildings and whatever that you get later on, so... You definitely can't expand too fast, too quickly, but that never stopped yeah, me but it's from trying. Of, yeah, <laughs>
0: it, it, they definitely, they, they tried to make it, they tried to make it less of a, uh, of the main strategy to win games, in Civ yeah. Five, especially. They changed the update yeah. to be substantially yeah. more punishing. Oh yeah. Uh, whether that was a good change or a bad change, I mean, it, it, it. Definitely changes the way it changes the way the game is played. Some what? of those
2: core mechanics really seem to have a pull on the kind of like the the more that you research Civ, you'd find that certain gameplay styles are either promoted as being effective to to give you an edge versus you know uh, leading you kind of astray. And that was one of the things is that the change between Civ four and Civ five um, definitely made me. Um, appreciate uh, the differences but also rethink the way that I was going about growing my cities because for me there was a period where um, I really tried to not uh, make mistakes when it came to developing my cities and having for example happiness or upkeep or any of those things uh, uh, be an issue but uh, sometimes I found that obsessing over um, making the cities run uh, smoothly Took, uh did not necessarily lead to victory when the other players, such as yourselves, were doing strategies that I also really needed to pay attention to. And with all my bandwidth spent on trying to make my cities work, I could quickly find myself under the thumb of somebody's military might. Yeah, I think that, that's,
0: that's always been something about the Civ series, is that there's a lot of micro you can do on managing your cities, how the population is working your tiles and what improvements you're building where. But at the end of the day, those benefits are marginal compared to just having more cities or just having having conquered better terrain in the first place.
1: Yeah, just like using your using what production you get every turn in a smart way. So you know, you can Definitely lose games where you invest in military and then do not have a good w- war with that military. So yeah, yeah, and it's all it's all about balance.
0: Yeah, and you know it's kind of it kind of depends too on on the other civilizations around you. Like you say, if you kind of go in, if you kind of go in on military and then lose a war because you just had a bad a bad war against your neighbor, you're you're sort of hooped because units, building units is quite expensive uh, because it prevents you from building the buildings that are going to give you economic advantages late game, even mid game, and then it also prevents you from building settlers and other exploratory units yeah. that allow you to expand.
1: So And like everything, costs that money. Yeah. Units have an upkeep, so you just having a large standing army, like that's going to, that's a investment they have to make.
0: Yeah, and it's an investment that doesn't pay off if that army doesn't capture you cities or defend you from other or people. defend you or do something, right? Yeah. So. What was interesting related to that is I felt that
2: um, with each of the sieves and leaders that you could pick, there was kind of like a defining statement behind them. You know, like uh, you know, victory through military strength, and you know whatever the flavor of the day is. Maybe they're really good in the forests and they have you know um, and on certain terrain, and being able to figure out what the leader that you were picking, what their vic- you know victory kind of strategy or statement was, and then actually applying that to uh, the yeah. game could make things a lot easier, actually, once you understand that. Because instead of needing to think about all these other things that you're doing just to run your empire, you go, I know where my strengths are going to be. Let me ex- let me push in those ways um, as I'm making everything else
0: work. Yeah, for sure. And actually, that's one of the things, uh, like when we're talking about Civ IV and Santa's strategy of basically going all in on growth, that, in my... Like, that's a proper strategy. Like, yeah. that is an overarching, like, style of managing your civilization to uh, gain an advantage in the game. Mm-hmm. And in Civ 4. That oh, I would say that that was really where a lot of the value was going to be had, because in Civ IV strategy was really more important. Um, one of the things in Civ IV, as far as the military is concerned, is that uh, units could be stacked on top of each other. Yes, ah, the, yes. Death, the death, the tower. tower. <laughs> yeah, and and what that mean what that means though is that in terms of uh, how like a military conflict in Civ IV would go. At the end of the day, a lot of it came down to, um, how many units do you have? And, you know, are they, are they better units than your opponent has? And they'll just go and kind of fight all, all at once. And uh, you'll see the outcome pretty quickly. Yeah. And, which...
1: Yeah, that, and that could get, like, even more complicated with uh, counter units. Because when you're atta- when you're on offense, you don't choose the defending unit you're attacking if you're attacking another stack. The defending unit is chosen by whatever defending unit is going to have the best strength against your attacking unit. Yeah. So it led to these, like, situations where, like, big towers of units, like, normally wouldn't really, like, clash against each other on just, like, walking around on the battlefield. It was more like these gigantic tides of units smacking into gigantic bastions at cities mm-hmm. it ended up concentrating
0: the fight for sure yeah um, oh yeah yeah but what that what that means is that like tactics was really not as important mm-hmm. like the, the the decisions that won you your military engagements in civ 4 were you know how many units did you actually build um what type did you build and where where like and which part of your empire are they in right um, in terms of like a tactical, oh, I'm gonna like arrange these units in such a way to protect these units and like do that kind of thing. That that wasn't really much of a part of it. And then in Civ 5, they made a drastic change where they shifted from a square tile based grid to a hex tile based grid, and at the same time they implemented uh, one unit per tile, uh, more or less. Uh, I think you can maybe get a worker and a military unit. You can
1: have a military
0: and a non-military unit on the same. But for the most part, one unit per tile, uh, which they also retained into Civilization VI. And it dramatically changed combat. I think, is it better or worse? I mean, it definitely makes the combat more engaging. But it also, I find, uh, it slows the game down a bit. Yes, uh, and and so it's it's a bit of a it's a yeah. bit of an interesting trade off they made uh, with Civ Five there, where the the combat is now more interesting on a tactical level. Uh, some of the choices you make in unit positioning relative to your other units and relative to the opponent's units actually matter, uh, especially because there's a lot a lot more focus on like ranged uh, ranged attacks.
1: Yeah, like, I don't even
0: think there were ranged attacks in Civ four. I think there was but it just didn't really make it it didn't matter it didn't really matter that much i think there was like a like a couple units that could go two spaces
1: hmm.
0: but like maybe the catapult well
1: those the those needed to be next to the uh to the city but, maybe i mean they could, they could they could attack without else. retaliation sure but they still only had like one tile range. Well, maybe that's in, all it was. Five, maybe yeah. I'm
0: thinking of just the attacking without retaliation. Then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, ranged wasn't ra- ranged. Considerations weren't really a major thing to even think about. In I think some it works? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a totally different thing. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, in general, I mean, it's 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 interesting that that difference. I don't know. I I still have I still have mixed feelings about it. Because the I I do like we were playing Civ six a while back the three of us actually yep. and it was going it was going pretty smoothly and then me and Sean got into a war because <laughs> he stole my settler yep <laughs> and I immediately I declared a yeah I mean technically you declared war by stealing the settler
2: I started that uh, and you
0: finished it. And I, <laughs> immediately ramped up an immense naval armada uh, and basically the now the thing is it was fun it's very engaging but at the same time it slowed the game way down yeah like,
1: um, uh, it was yeah and me being the other human player in that game I would you know finish my turn in like 45 seconds and then just sit there for like five to ten minutes for each of you guys just to like figure out your turns. And, yeah,
0: because we had such a, we had, yeah. You, you know, had so much
1: to do on each individual turn. Yeah, because
0: we had so many uh, military engagements happening that, yeah, it would take us a couple minutes each. I have a
2: comment on that and this is coming from someone who definitely takes his fair share of time <laughs> to complete the turns. Uh, I I can sometimes uh, experience analysis paralysis, which makes uh, making these important decisions take longer rather than shorter. Um, and there's been quite a few times where I've played a strategy game and uh, the turns are timed. Um, and I was reading about this mechanic, and I actually haven't played a game yet that, uh, that has it. I know there's a few Forex uh, games out, uh, uh, out there that use this. And it'd be interesting to see it in Civ, would be uh, the turn timer as a resource. So basically um, certain, certain mechanics are actually tied into how much time you're going to get in your turn um, and it's split down the middle between your economic actions which have a timer um, versus your military ones and uh, it's kind of like your orders.
0: That would be be an interesting way to handle a turn timer, especially in a game like Civ where your turn timer at, you know, the first few turns, your turn timer needs to be pretty short because you only have a few units, whereas end game... Yeah, yeah. end game civilization the turns are just, just going to take a long time no matter what Yeah, uh, because your empire is so big by that point uh, but having the turn timer be some sort of resource that's essentially tied to uh, how much economic production you have going on or how much how many units you have could actually maybe make for a, uh, a turn timer that scales to how much time you actually should need given yeah. what you have going on Yeah. So that's an interesting idea for a turn time, actually.
2: And uh, this lens from, I I think there's a few games, there's one game that did this that really rung this idea up, was that they actually had orders. And these orders consisted of letters, and you would inscribe basically on the letters what you wanted your empire to do, and then these letters would go by horseback out of your capital towards the varying places that you needed your orders to go to. Now, a very skilled commander would wait to see these horses and fucking snipe them off, so that the rest of your orders never got uh, committed to, and to me that seemed like a really cool. Wait, what? do you know what game what this was? Ooh. Yeah, that that sounds really cool. Ah, I'm gonna come back to it. It's somewhere in my uh, my history, and it really caught me
0: as a mechanic that made me go, "Whoa, that's actually
2: different." Yeah,
0: because that that also that that was a that was a real military strategy back when the orders had to be delivered.
2: Yeah, it right. might have been Universal Euro Palace, but I'm not sure. universalis Universal, that one. Yes. <laughs> yes, you know yes, what? That totally seems like
0: that totally seems like the the game series that would have a mechanic like that. Yeah, 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 and
2: definitely a standout mechanic would be interesting to maybe perhaps see in a Civ game or something along the lines of those resources. Because yeah, let me tell you, having a time constraint as someone who takes a lot of time is actually very helpful. It might be a little bit of a stressful experience, but it makes me a better player. I find for sure. Yeah. So. As uh, so
1: long
2: as this,
1: as so long as the term timer's is not
2: aggressively short. <laughs> <sure. laughs> yes, I'm thinking of that one Warframe game. Wargroove. Wargroove, Wargroove, yeah. game that we had. Yeah, we
0: we played a War Groove. Uh, match the three of us on a custom map that I made and I I, I set one minute turn timers which is not enough time (laughs) aggressive indeed (laughs) in the middle
2: of doing something essential and
0: whoops ran out of time yeah
2: it's just like
1: throughout the game I'm like is Sean just, like, banking up resources on purpose, or is he just running out of time?
2: <laughs> um, you know, what was interesting is I was kind of prioritizing making moves uh, for most turns, and then, like you were saying, I'd switch back to buying, uh, like, I could really only focus on and, and do one effectively, mm-hmm. and so for that strategy, I realized, well, I really do, should try and focus on just doing one of these things effectively. Yeah. What is the core locus of each turn? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah i got to say, though, the turn timers made it extremely
1: satisfying to figure out the, like, sedge puzzle, puzzles. It's like, okay, I can assassinate this guy here, then move over here, and attack this person here. <laughs> oh, To yeah. try and, like, oh, okay, yeah, how, I, how, how do <laughs> I kill my opponent's commander in one minute? <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Well, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, speaking of, you know, different commanders, like, I know, like... I know Alex, one of the commanders that you played a fair amount in Civ Four. I remember was uh, Darius the First. I don't remember what one of his abilities was, but his other one was financial, which was one of the best abilities in the game. Just getting extra money. Uh, ah, whenever yes. Whenever you, I would, yeah, you would get <laughs> extra money if you're, if the tiles you were working had a certain amount of money already. Yeah. And, like, yeah. And stacking money in that... Stacking money in Sivfort especially was so good. Oh,
0: especially because... Uh, so, money in general... The best way to get money, and the way I prefer, is basically uh, fishing, like, coastal towns. Ocean... When you work ocean tiles, uh, every ocean tile gives you money. Ocean tiles that have resources on them typically give you a lot of money. And it's just... I've always found that having a high income from actual tiles is such a huge help in a Civ game because it gives you versatility. Uh, uh, If you are just trying to focus on building out your economic base, you can use money to buy the buildings that you need, especially in young cities. Um, Getting uh, Especially in the mid-game, when you're settling a new city, kind of in the mid-game, it is a challenge to get it up to uh, viable size and viable production output uh, fast. And the best way to do that is to just spend money buying improved buildings for that uh, city to make it grow faster. And that's one of the things I love about just like having a high uh, a high income is that you can actually do that effectively mm-hmm. um, and then also if you get into a military engagement uh you can just buy you can just buy units uh it's yeah. expensive but in my mind having a high having a high gold income in Civ is it's it's the most versatile resource you can you can get yeah. and and you can stockpile it too mm-hmm. um and so, like, I would much rather have a large treasury than a standing army. Because I can just buy the army whenever I want. It's, d- it's tough, but that's what I did in that game against Sean. Army on demand. I bought a bunch of... Because I, I, uh, I had a large number of coastal towns. And then Sean went and tried to take one of my settlers that was going to found another coastal town. And then I just flooded a navy out of nowhere... Out of nowhere indeed. It was shocking. I was like, how
2: is he doing this? Yeah. <laughs> shortly by, shortly followed by, oh my god, I'm going to
0: die. <laughs> yeah. and, and the answer was that my strategy in that game was actually very heavily focused on establishing coastal cities with high gold income, uh, which uh, I was using to buy buildings for those cities to grow them faster and then buying uh, buying military when I needed a military instead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, like, and like everything I said, like, there is counterplay to that to where coastal cities will generally, like, coastiles generally don't have production or very little unless they have a resource on them. So, you know, you can't just only take the coast and expect it to do well because until you get, you know, that stockpile of gold to start buying buildings, if the other resources you have on land aren't giving you production, then you could just, like, never be able to actually build anything.
0: Yeah, I typically focus on establishing my coastal towns uh, around the improved resources. Yeah. Because if you st- yeah, if you do a coastal town without any actual improvements on the ocean, it is not that effective. Um sometimes I'll do it and then regret it. Like I think actually there was a, a different game where I set up a I set up a settler out and sent him out to this remote island and it was literally the island was maybe like four tiles of land just in the middle of the ocean and i was it was actually really frustrating because there actually were a few resources on around it but none of them were food generating resources and so that city although it's although its potential as a wealth generator was through the roof it took me so long to grow the to grow the city because it had no improved food uh it had no food improvements whatsoever. Yeah, not and, a single food resource. Yeah, and it and was like, so frustrating because if that city was operating at full capacity, it probably would have made more gold than the rest of my empire, like than the entire rest of my empire. <laughs> uh, but it just wasn't really working. Yeah, because like sounds like you chose the 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 needs of the empire over
2: the needs of the population and uh, <laughs> to reap the rewards. <laughs> yeah, you got to be
1: careful with with that because like you need your you need your citizens to be working efficiently because the citizens, they take up food. So if you just have a bunch of citizens working, you know, a bunch of planes that give two food, well, each citizen takes up two food. So you're not netting anything. Right,
0: yeah. So the other things with Darius there were, uh, so plus one on square, yeah. So extra gold on high gold gold production squares, double production speed for a bank, but also the civic upkeep is reduced 50%. Which is huge. And then also double production speed for the lighthouse factory and courthouse. Oh, of, which, of
1: course. Of which
0: the lighthouse is the most key, uh, especially for my playstyle, because a lighthouse gives you additional food output on ocean tiles. Building a lighthouse is essential for a coastal city. Oh, in yeah. Civ. Like it, it should be probably the first building you build once it's unlocked at yeah. every coastal city. Maybe, maybe a granary. But even, yeah. even then, it's one of the first two buildings you want to build when you can.
1: Mm-hmm. And like the yeah that the, that financial though is so great because like it's something that goes throughout the entire game. Yeah. Because like, as much as I like loved like the double production speed on settlers, like at a certain point you're not settling any more sittings in a save
0: game. Yeah. <laughs> and- and- and late game, even if you are settling... To even, like, maybe mid-game. If you're still settling cities mid-game, the double production speed isn't that necessary because settlers are a unit that can be produced somewhat fast. Although I think some of the more recent games scale the production costs of settlers for that very reason. Yes. So that they're more expensive late mm-hmm. game. But uh, even then, if you've got... If you got a dozen cities, you're bound to have at least one of them that has such high production output you can produce settlers quickly.
2: Yeah. The one thing that I felt is that that was one of the areas in in terms of balancing your cities. Like you, basically, I feel like a Civ game is like spinning many plates. <laughs> mm-hmm. totally and yeah. uh, um, it was interesting because you know even if there were no turn timers, I always felt as though the outcome of my game could be directly related back to the plates that I was aware that I was spinning, the plates that I wasn't aware that I was spinning, and the plates that were flying off, crashing, and uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> destroying actually, my intended strategy. <laughs> speaking of that, so we've talked a bit about the differences between Civ IV and Civ V, in that uh, Civ V introduced a dramatically different combat system and uh, a hex grid. Um, but Civ Six is actually... Uh, so continuing th- the tradition of uh, in, uh, getting more micro... I would say that in Civ 4 to Civ 5, there was a big shift on trying to make the combat system uh, a lot more tactical. And then with Civ 6, they focused a bit more on the cities and, and the building system in those cities. In, uh, in Civ 6, there are many buildings in Civ 6 that actually need to be built uh, in what are called districts. And a district takes up a, a, a tile in your city. Like on the map. Now, this is a pretty interesting change, if mm-hmm. if challenging at times, uh, because there's many cities that will not be able to build out. In fact, you're not going to be able to build every district in every city. You you won't. You, uh, you may there, not have there's,
1: there's a hard cap.
0: Yeah, there's a hard cap on the number of them, and then also uh, they can be fairly expensive. And so you're really focusing each city, and you're taking each city's strengths based on its terrain, its resources, uh, to to make that city work for your empire. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes that might mean, okay, this city is going to be a financial hub, so you're going to build a financial district, or or I think it's a commerce district, right? And the financial, like the gold-generating buildings, uh, like a market and a bank, go in the commerce district. Or you might say okay well now this is going to be a this, this city you know it's got lots of mountains it's got ores. it's going to be a production city it's going to be a center of industry and then there's like an industrial uh district um which is a dramatically different uh style of managing buildings because in the in the past civ games you could build any building in any city without any prerequisites uh, or sometimes there would be pre like for a couple of those, like a watermill needs to be next to a river. And stuff, yeah, stuff like yeah. That. Or like there might, I think there was like there's like uh, I think in some they had some buildings that required a, a building already. I can't remember off the top of my head, but
1: yeah. Well, gen- generally there was a progression
0: where yeah, like if you want to be build like, a university, you, need, you a, need a library. You need yeah. a ma- yeah, you need a library to build a university. You need a market to build a bank. Yeah. I think stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. but. But by tying buildings to specific tiles in the way that Sib Six does, it makes planning your city a completely different uh, experience, which is yes. a lot more involved and at the micro level of even to the point of like choosing, okay, what districts do I want and where do I put them on the map.
1: Mm-hmm. It, Be- yeah, it's a change that I really, really like in theory. In theory. <laughs> uh, it's it's more that just like Civ six, I got it fairly recently and haven't, I have not had the free time to de- delve into it as much as the other Civ games for sure. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, Civ six, I have not played as much as five or four. Maybe we should play some later. No, uh. not, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I about don't have that. time. Yeah. <laughs> right. See, uh, I see, love see, I see, love see. Civilization, but a single game, even on your own, you're basically looking at. A full day? Yeah, yeah like, this yeah. This is
1: the podcast episode that I did the most prep for, because I played half a game of Civ, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that game went, I was playing, it was Civ 6, I was playing as France, and I was playing as, um, I think, Eleanor, whose special ability was, like, uh, the more great works you had in a building, the more pressure it would put on surround, surrounding uh, cities, to like lower their loyalty, so I was basically I was going for the art victory, uh, and building like a ton of wonders because I love building wonders in these games. Oh yeah, oh, and, wonders are so great. And wonders as well in Civ Six require you to place them on tiles.
0: Oh yeah, so yeah, having oh man, yeah. This, so the strategy in previous games sometimes if you got a high production city early, you could literally just build every single wonder in the game, in this one city, and. Because wonders usually have really strong benefits to the city, uh, the whole thing can kind of snowball if you get the right combination of of, uh, of circumstances of like a really really strong production city. Could be it could be kind of gross. Yeah, actually. Yeah, <sighs> definitely. Uh, but they, they, yeah, I found that that's that is impossible in sub six because yeah, most wonders are going to I think probably all of them.
1: All the you all them take up a tile.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so uh, much. It's much more difficult to monopolize wonders. Yeah. in Civ six, and, which maybe is a good thing. Have yeah. you guys played any
2: of the Civ board games? I know we're dipping outside of the video games territory a little bit here, but uh, there were there's been quite a few. Um, I've not.
1: I have
0: not. I, I, think, I
1: mean, I have played. You know, we have definitely played our fair share of 4x style board games, but not none Civ specific.
0: I yeah, we should I come think back to this thought. I think my favorite. 4X board games probably Eclipse oh, yeah. the ones I've played oh, yeah. uh, that's a great board game uh, but
2: I also give it a solid recommend in fact <laughs> if you hear the word 4X and it gives you a warm fuzzy feeling and you know and you've got friends who you can actually see uh, thank you slow, slow and steady tor- uh, progress towards the end of the pandemic definitely take a look for that board game um, just keep in mind it can take a
0: while yeah. I think it's about an hour per person. It, it says a half an hour per person. They're
2: lying. It's double. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It's more like an hour. It's per double person.
2: that when you know how to play. Bring the pizza, bring the drinks. <laughs> Bring uh, your most sassy leader persona within you, you know? And, and it's actually fun to play Civ like that, too, you know? When you're looking at a leader and you're thinking about how historically they were, how Civ portrays the leader to be, yeah. sometimes I would just role-play the decisions that I'm making as if I am those leaders. And it felt a lot more fun when I was playing a game, you know, like... <laughs> I am George Washington. America, America, America.
1: And that—that's one of the super fun things about playing against the AI in those games is—is is that especially in the later games, the each separate leader had their own like AI traits to them, to where they're, they're like X likely to declare war. They really, really like it when you're the uh, you're the same religion as them and stuff like that. And so the individual leader personalities were pretty great. Like Montezuma, just being a complete wild card—you never know what he's going to do because he's yeah. fucking—he's random every time. Always
2: going to fly off the handle on me. <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much. Or, or like
1: in, in Civ Five, like each leader has a tendency to do certain things on a scale of one to ten. Uh, Gandhi has the nuke building stat at twelve. <laughs> Out of 10. Because yeah. yeah, of, uh, of the running joke in the that's series. A, that's a,
0: yeah, that's a reference to a long-running joke in the series. Uh, that Gandhi will just... That Gandhi is incredibly aggressive and will go to war with you at the drop of a hat. So, including I mean, It's not including necessarily, it's not necessarily that.
2: He just loves them nukes. I, I heard the origin story of this, and you guys may have too, that uh, when they were programming Gandhi a long time ago... Uh they wanted to give him as low aggression as possible. And uh within the calculation involved, they went so low that they went below zero. And it that looped mar- all way the way around.
1: Myth. Yeah. Really? It's Yeah, Meier a- confirmed that that's that wasn't the case. My mind is blown. That like me. it's it's more of a just like perception thing to where Gandhi uh was good at science, yeah. So he could get to nukes you like usually pretty fast so usually the first person but get nukes the text for like this person has nukes to back up their words or whatever was the same for everybody so when gandhi said shit to, to you it's like their words are backed up by nukes that like oh shit gandhi's getting serious it, 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 it was it was a it was more a perception thing in the first sieve than anything. But then in later Civs, they they did programmatically make him new cappy. Yeah,
0: yeah. They, so they, they leaned in. They leaned into the joke. Uh, and like, as much as I love, as much as I love the idea that there was a buffer underflow on Gandhi that caused him to go to war and be aggressive really easily. Yeah, it is. I, yeah. I, okay. I, okay. L- let me let me ask you a very interesting. Unless question. Sid Meier's lying to us all, right?
2: Yeah maybe he's covering his ass but yeah. let me pose this question what one world leader would you want to see play a civ game with other world leaders who do you think in, like in real world who oh, you dear do, would god. you god
0: <laughs> i mean putin would obviously yeah. <laughs> backstab everyone
2: i would that would be very interesting what would putin do
0: <laughs> he, he would pretend to be everyone's friend and then backstab everyone and win uh Actually, speaking of, um, that reminds me. So one of the other things about Civ is that it, it can be played single player and it can also be played multiplayer. <laughs> and one oh, of the no things more. I just love about, about multiplayer Civ is, is the mind games. <laughs> and it's actually really, it's, it's a lot of fun because uh, Civ is a very long game to play. Uh, even if you're playing very aggressively, it's going to be uh, many hours. So, having a multiplayer game of Civ can be filled with a lot of political intrigue, basically. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, me and Santo definitely had our fair share of games on the internet uh, with friends and randos, where we had uh, a lot of fun just either secretly teaming up or... Secretly plotting against each secretly other. Secretly plotting against each other. <laughs> um, I remember this one game in particular, which was incredible, because I was I was, not doing well. I was surrounded on two sides by two very aggressive players, and then Santa was off on the other side of the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I got blocked in early because I was on a peninsula, and I did not have a very large civilization at all and i ended up basically uh becoming a vassal state to one of the players beside me and i was secretly plotting with the other player beside me uh who i was not a vassal to uh to try and take out uh the player that i was uh technically a vassal to and then also i was plotting with santo and i was down to like three cities which in Civ is nothing. Um, yeah. Uh, and it was fairly early game still. I think maybe not even, like, medieval yet. And so, yeah, it, was, it, um, it might have still been classical, or maybe it was... What's after the classical era again?
1: Um, uh, I mean, after classical is... I don't remember what it's called. I mean, I refer to it as gunpowder era, personally. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so... <laughs> oh, no, no,
0: medieval's definitely before the gunpowder or maybe it
1: isn't. Oh, oh right, I guess classical would be maybe, classical maybe, maybe, before medieval. medieval.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the the uh, so I'm so I've already uh, so I lost I lost a good like ten cities to this other player that I then became a vassal to, uh, and I was plotting, and so I told him I was going to plot with him to, to take over this other player that was beside me. Uh, Except I was also plotting with the other player beside me that I was going to backstab the player that I was uh, a vassal to to help him, and then I was also plotting with Santo at the same time. And what ended up happening is that with my tiny three cities and uh, a small army, I basically just I I played everyone. and Santa was uh, coming in from the east. No, west. You, yeah, Santa was coming in from the west side on the larger player. Um, the smaller player, who I was secretly communicating with, uh, went in on the east side and was fighting with the larger, the largest player, who I was a vassal to. And then I, I just like moved my my small army in a way that it looked like I was trying to help but I really wasn't because it, I was taking, I was making bad decisions through terrain that slowed me down a lot <laughs> so that my units survived and then so the largest player on the map is undergoing a pincer strike uh, while I'm like secretly plotting and then uh, the armies of the two players beside me basically clashed and almost completely destroyed each other to the point... Where I was then able to uh, take over most of the territory of both of the players beside me all at the same time with the smallest army in the game. <laughs> uh, which was just, and it was because I was just like, I was secretly playing everyone against each other in a way that was to my benefit, and it worked, it worked beautifully. Everyone was extremely upset with me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but ev- <laughs> yes, everyone kind of... because I ended up with more cities than like everyone else combined, and then everyone else was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, you win. Yeah, we're done. Fuck this game." <laughs> oh my, yeah, a uh, lot of fun though.
1: <laughs> Definitely awesome. awesome we had a bad habit of start we had a bad habit of starting like four or five person multiplayer games of civ at like 8 p.m. <laughs> like f- <sighs> oh, so
2: bad <laughs> i feel like responsible civving, responsible civving responsible involves thinking about <laughs> what time you'll actually be playing it like not on a weeknight. <laughs> yeah so like, yeah, civ-, civ
0: is the classic the classic problem of oh i'll just play one more turn because a turn doesn't take that long, you know. A single turn—that's only a few minutes, right? What's a few minutes? Yeah, so, you know, ten ten turns later. Oh, it's an hour later. Just yeah. one more turn.
1: Yeah, but I have a wonder being finished in like three turns. Let's let's play let's until that happens. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then it just keeps going and going. Uh, yeah, the the uh, the game of Civ Six I played in prep for this I. I got into a war with Sweden. They, they just declared war on me, and it was just like, okay, all right, fine. But um, one thing that we haven't talked about yet was uh, in 5 and 6, the uh, city-states, which were a really cool addition.
0: Oh, yeah, the city-states are super cool.
1: Yeah, basically just like little AI cities that you know are in every game that you enable them in, and you... Can, like, gain favor with them by doing certain tasks, giving them money, and if you are in good enough standing with them, then they'll help you out in military conflicts. So, Sweden got pissed at me for just existing. I hadn't done anything to antagonize them. They declared war on me. I had three city-states that I was, like, buddies with, and they happened to be on the right side, the left side, and the top side of Sweden, and I was on the bottom side. (laughs) So, they, I I didn't even, like, I got into no military combat in that war whatsoever. I just hung back, and and my city-states just, like, kept Sweden occupied, until Sweden eventually wanted to declare peace, and also gave me gold for it. (laughs) <laughs> that's how badly they were getting their shit kicked in oh, wow that's sweet. funny but you know what sweet- they got their revenge though because as soon as I declared peace the game
2: crashed <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> All right. oh my yeah. gosh alright I'm done with this game
0: wow Yeah. Yeah, the city-states are really cool because, I mean, it gives you an option, too. Um, like, it takes up some space on the map, but you could take over the city-state and then have an additional city. Mm-hmm. But, honestly, a lot of the a lot of the bonuses you get if you uh, get to the high favor with those city-states are actually really good.
1: Um, yeah, like, sometimes they'll, like, share resources with you, including luxury resources. They'll just, like, give you passive bonuses to random stuff like
0: Yeah, it might be passive research output or passive gold mm-hmm. or uh passive is there a passive production one?
1: Yeah. Mm. Well so I, I forget remember. how they worked in Civ five if the city states themselves were specialized. But in Civ six they are, to where certain city states are face city states, production, gold, military, science, whatever, yeah. culture. So getting friendly with specific city-states it's also like you know an interesting tactical political kind of thing that you could do to where you could you know go for being friends with certain city states and then you have to compete with the other civs to get the most
0: favor yeah actually talking about faith-based city-states um i thought that the religion the religion so religion has been a mechanic in civ I think since Civ four, I think so. Yeah, since uh,
1: since one of the expansions in Civ four. Okay, yeah, introduced it.
0: Yeah, but I feel like Civ six really just brought that to another level. Mm. Um, Maybe it was, maybe it was just that the interface was better for it. (laughs) But it was only it's only been in Civ six that I ever really felt like it was worth it. Maybe it's because I disagree. Civ four religion
1: was broken. If you founded a religion and got a great profit to build the um, holy, like, monument for whatever religion you were in, you got one gold for every city that was of your religion. So if you could spread your religion like wildfire and build this thing, you got such a huge economic building uh, for what I thought was, like, not even that big of a cost. They
0: there are. That's some why of, I
1: rush Stonehenge every time.
0: Yeah, there are it's some true. abilities. Yeah, there are some abilities with the the religion in Civ Six. They're like that, where you get gold per city mm-hmm. converted. Same with Civ Five. Um, and I think maybe it's just that Civ Six was the Civ where I finally actually like gave a shit, gave a shit mm-hmm. about the religion, mm-hmm. because it seemed like a bit more of a. It never seemed like I. Was getting much value out of the religion mechanic in the previous games. I feel like the. Maybe I just didn't use it right. The religion mechanic
2: definitely was one of those things where um, it was one of those meta mechanics. So there's a few mechanics in Civ that it feels like if you start to be able to read the room on who else you're playing with, or, you know, within the game, you can actually through observation see what's going on, that you could get a, a sense of whether the. Uh, mechanic is being under-exploited or not being exploited at all, and securing your place as the dominant player exploiting that mechanic could run you away and win you the game quite easily. Uh, I think religion is definitely one of those that qualifies for that. Yeah. Um, and so I found that in Civ games with AI, they seem to, being you know mindless AI players, be able to balance this perfectly. However, playing with people, I always found that there were strategies which... Uh, players such as yourselves would perhaps kind of dibs the dominance on that and i would need to find my own strategy but also not neglect having a position in the ones that you guys were also focusing on otherwise you guys would run away from me (laughs) so that was another kind of it's like the ebb and flow of of the group that you're with and and uh and the meta game going on um if you're able to observe that yeah It, it it definitely changed i i didn't
1: because as soon as in Civ four they had religion but faith, I don't even remember if faith was a resource in that the way it was in the other games, because you I could buy you could really? buy stuff with faith in uh, five and six, like certain, because you you could also customize your religion in five and six by choosing different tenets and some of them gave you like unique buildings that you could build buy with faith, or and I think you could also buy great people with faith in, in Civ five and six, And great people can do great things. <laughs> <Sure>. Yes, they <laughs> like, can. Um, you know, just like, oh, I'm just going to get this tech for free. I'm going to, you know, get all this money or have
2: a great general and mess up other people. So... You know what was interesting is um, one of the newer Civ mechanics is actually introducing climate change as a mechanic. And what's interesting yeah. is that they... In fact, the design um, decisions behind that are, in a way, to educate people, you know, about this topic. Um, And I thought that the the mechanics were pretty cool and well done uh, when they introduced climate change. Um, And because it was such a... Is this in 6? Yes. Okay. The Gathering Storm expansion. Oh, okay. I I
0: haven't actually played that expansion.
2: And so they had the concept of, you know, um, there was a lot of cities that are vulnerable to flooding. And so as the game progresses, um, and, uh, greenhouse gases are rising, um, you may discover that those cities have increasing, uh, bad weather events. And I, Mm -hmm. I don't remember encountering, maybe I only encountered one, but there was also other adverse events, uh, havoc there. There, there were droughts,
1: uh, like hurricanes, volcano eruptions. Uh, after a certain point in the game, uh, if pollution levels got too high, uh, the actual like sea levels would rise. So when you're building a city, you know it. <laughs> it's really funny when you're building, you know, your first city in the ancient days where you don't even know how to make pottery. You can see a, a warning sign that says. When the sea levels rise for the second time, this building, th- this city, will be underwater. <laughs> it's like, that's that's
0: amazing planning for this ancient-era settler. <laughs> I mean, they know the crops need river flood. Why can't the ocean flood?
2: I think that flavor-wise and perhaps mechanics-wise, it definitely would have been interesting to have those... Uh, those... Um, bits of information perhaps locked away for the future that you know you're not well, sure which time. Well, part of it
0: is that the civ the the more recent civ games have a lot of tool tips to help new players yeah uh, and that i think that's important because there are a lot of mechanics to keep track of yeah so. mm-hmm.
1: uh go back to one of my favorite uh s- s- quote unquote strategies uh in civ 5 I always picked Indonesia because of two things. One is that they their Civ bonus was they got special, unique, luxury resources for every uh, city that you found on a new continent. And the way that Civ V de- uh, determined continents was just like, you know, land masses that are together. So you could have an island that's like literally one tile of sea out from a you know big landmass and that would count as another continent for those resources. Wow. So you could get some free free luxury resources there, which and those were especially like huge in Civ 5. But the other thing that they had was I forget the name of the unit, but their unique unit replaced the swordsman and it had this like cool like it's like the freaking levin sword that Robin has. Ah, uh, yeah, of the, the, the,
2: the pointy sword.
1: The, yeah, the jagged blade. And they had a random power that would not reveal itself until they got into combat for the first time. That could either be good or bad. Oh, no. <laughs> so they could, you know, have, like, oh, they could just have like you know better combat potential and or heal more or whatever or they could just be really shitty <laughs> so yeah. be, being such a fan of random chance that I was I would always just like rush like iron working or whatever tech you needed to build swordsmen build as many of them as I could yes <laughs> and, and just like send them into the world always just like start a super early war just yes. to see what I could get and then and then because those, those Upgrades kept, kept after after you upgrade the units as well.
0: Oh, nice. So,
1: depending. You could have some really stupid units. Just a,
2: a, a really kooky strategy that I liked. There are always some strangely anachronistic moments where one Civ might be ahead on the tech tree, another might be behind, but uh, you'd have, you know, for example... Guys with swords fighting, you know, people with machine guns or tanks or... That's probably a dramatic example, but...
0: I mean, that happens. It yeah.
2: happens, it happens, and you'll have these anachronistic battles, and yes. sometimes they can even go unexpectedly, and you'll be like, did that just happen? Did that really? <laughs> I've had quite a few battles like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're playing against the AIs. Yep. Some of the... Sometimes the AI is really bad at just advancing along the tech tree. Uh I don't know why, but it just is.
2: I wonder how but, much additional complexity or uh, or design would need to go in Civ before it actually could be used as an analog to model, you know, real-world behavior of, of, of cities and whatnot. You know, like Civilization 20, will that... Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the problem with something like that is that Civilization is not trying to model real-world city growth. Y- yeah. It's trying yeah, to be fun point. to play.
1: Yeah, like, it's only modeling at the basis of things where it's like, okay, you need a you know, certain amount of food and entertainment and you know if you have access to fresh water that's going to help your growth and stuff like that but it's like
0: oh yes yes the natural sheep that inhabit this plot of land always yes yeah that doesn't make sense
1: yes this won't get over farmed ever
0: yeah yeah so there's a lot of stuff in civ that doesn't necessarily also i mean with civ and resources you know resource depletion is not a thing at all but resource depletion is huge in understanding the growth and fall of real-world cities. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been many cities where uh, agricultural overexploitation led to, like, a collapse of farming, for example. example. Uh, or, you know, there's cities that boomed because of, like, a new mining operation, and then the mine closed, and, that, and now that city's gone. So, yeah, yep. Modern ghost towns. Uh, so it doesn't reflect those realities mm-hmm. at all. It doesn't try to, because it would make everything... I think it would make it a very different game.
1: Yeah, totally. Like, there's a, like a tiny bit of that where, like, even in Civ IV, there was the concept of uh, global warming, where some tiles late late in the game would just turn into desert, and desert was basically unworkable. Yeah, but not not much more than that in terms of tiles changing. If anything, tiles got better as the game progressed because you would just, like, find the new strategic resources there. It's like, oh, I researched the thing that revealed, you know, aluminum on the map. Oh, nice, now I have this awesome mine uh, hill that I can put a mine on and get a ton of production out of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's still the case, really, Mm -hmm. with your Your tiles typically get better over time because there are a lot of hidden resources. Yeah. Uh, at the, start of, at the one, start of
1: the game. One of the um, coolest mechanics in Civ 4 specifically was the uh, the hamlets, which were the uh, city improvements that you could build that, you know, it started out as just, like, a one little house, and you got some extra gold out of it. And then over time, as you worked that tile, it expanded into a little town that gave you more and more gold. So investing in that early and then building that up over time... Was like a really cool uh, strategy that you do that they didn't. They didn't put any kind of like overtime improvement stuff in any of the other games. I don't think.
0: Not, not yeah. really. No, that's
2: interesting.
1: They well, they all, also just like dramatically changed how improvements were. For in Civ Four, roads didn't cost any upkeep gold, for example. So you literally build roads on every single tile of your empire. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> the the concrete three. expanse. Yeah. And then instead five, That's roads travel, cost gold, exactly. so you had to, you know, be careful with building too many of them, which of course you might not realize the first time playing that game. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <Filled roads> <laughs> the yep. road tag. Roads
0: everywhere. Why is my city broke? Why <laughs> is my civilization broke?
1: Damn it, I've invested too much into infrastructure. <laughs> Yep. yeah this is so this is so unrealistic yeah actually
0: actually one of the reasons uh in Civ six i think uh one of my favorite favorite uh leaders to play was i can't remember one of the Roman leaders because he specifically had a thing about roads that made roads more valuable, and I just really like having roads all around my my cities anyway because it's just so much easier to deal with during like military conflicts or just moving workers around or yeah. anything.
1: That might have been Civ Five. In Civ Six, roads work a, a bit strangely to where roads get um, placed by using trade routes. It's very strange. Okay. And, yeah. and, 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 and then the
2: roads would be automatically generated along kind oh, okay, of the shortest yeah, yeah. No and, mind. And, and the, and the uh,
1: builders in Civ six had a limited amount of builds that they could do, which is also a yeah.
0: I didn't like that so much. That
1: that change was a bit annoying. Um, but yeah, I don't know. it was interesting in some ways because certain things gave you like extra builds and like like the game the Pyramids Wonder for example was all about them builders.
0: Yeah, which is uh, yeah, it's got like it's got a nice flavor.
1: So. Yeah, there's you know some play there. Yeah.
0: It also means that you don't run into the situation, uh, especially in Civ Four. One of the other reasons you have roads on literally every tile in your uh, civilization, in your territory, in Civ Four, is because your workers would build improvements, and then they'd just kind of hang around. And if you have nothing to do with them, you'll just have them auto-build roads. Yep. <laughs> and then they put roads everywhere. And that's not really when your workers are limited in what they can build, you're obviously not just going to build whatever randomly. And then yeah. also you don't have them hanging around when you don't need them because yeah. you have to build them every time you want to improve something.
1: Yeah. Uh, like, and, and that's another thing for Civ Six specifically that emphasized it, so much. Like you really need to care about the tiles around yeah, your place. again,
0: again, you know, the Civilization series is really, it's been trending towards a lot more uh, importance on the micro. Uh, and really managing your cities uh, very, uh, very thoughtfully. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's, that's a, it's, it's a shift. I know a lot of people have not liked the shifts of the more recent of the recent two games for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not against it. I mean, it's not like Civ, so- it's not like Civ four is gone. You can go play Civ four still. Yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah. of people do. I think Civ Four is like still like one of the most popular, uh, at least relative to its release date. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: Civilization. I had some interesting times playing Beyond Earth as well, so I know it was definitely a departure from your usual uh, usual sides of things. But uh, between you know between Civ Five, I think it was, and Civ Six, uh, it definitely. One of the interesting things was the scenarios where um, they'd give you, a, a, almost like Stellaris style, they'd give you, you know, this thing is happening, how do you handle it? And depending on how you handle it, sometimes it could incur the wrath of the flora and fauna, um, which was, could sometimes be bad because there were some significantly powerful uh, NPC barbarian creatures waiting to mangle your cities up. Um and then other times it would just be the philosophy decisions, uh, which actually really do they did a good job now that you're describing um uh um Alpha Centauri, that you know, that they were able to convey uh the spirit of that into this successor game. Um but uh, generally there was three kind of major ideas is that you know you're going to adapt to the planet, uh you're gonna force the planet to adapt to you, or that you're gonna find a middle ground. And uh, what I found was that there was always this interesting dynamic where you'd be put in situations where they're describing a scenario that you'd, you know, you'd have to potentially take the L for yourself in the present moment to either uh, fit the kind of theme that you're kind of aiming for or to just, uh, you know, make peace with the locals that are near you. Um, So very cool way of injecting a little bit of flavor in. When you were playing against other people, though, it felt a little bit forced, uh, or kind of like a um, the kind of wild card that uh, detracted from the multiplayer experience a little bit, mm. but uh, otherwise it was pretty neat. Speaking
1: of barbarians, uh, there's actually an interesting thing in Civ six to where, I, I don't know if they added this like, later through balance, or if it was, if I just, like, didn't realize this checkbox was there, but there's a checkbox to, like, make it so that barbarians have more, like, play with them in 6, to where you can, like, bribe them to do shit, and if you leave them alone for long enough, they'll actually convert themselves into a city-state. Oh, really? Yeah. So I haven't
0: actually seen that happen.
1: Yeah, so that's that makes me wonder if they added it later, because they've They've added some in that they've added like some crazy features in the cipset. I mean, also yeah. I
0: usually just roast the barbarians. Yeah. Like as soon as I find them.
1: Like oh my god, they 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 added one of the craziest features ever. In, uh, back in April, they made it so you can pet the dog.
0: You can pet the dog. You can pet the dog. Oh my god! There,
1: I, I I I was clicking on my scout, and I'm like, all right, advance actions because that's where the auto explore is, and there was an option there. Like, What's this? Pet. Click. that's the dog. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. That goddamn Twitter account is changing games. Oh, yep. the yeah. The can you pet the dog Twitter account.
2: I think they even, they, they made like a Battle Royale-esque uh, post-apocalyptic um, game. Oh yeah. So. Uh, oh, yeah, we played yeah. that one back. Oh, yeah, we played that. stupid. I think it
0: was like originally an April Fool's joke or something. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh, we're just gonna make it. They decided it, to take it too far. Honestly, wasn't that it? Wasn't that great? Yeah, it was. It was. I, it, I give them a for effort of
2: trying something new. Uh, sure, they were hopping on board with the battle royales train. Um, I. It, it would have been interesting, had it been something I, fun. I give and them an A
0: for April Fool's joke. <laughs> yeah, nothing Definitely. more. It's. It's. Uh, it's not. A, it's not a good game mode. And you know what? I say this as someone who actually has enjoyed some of the stupid mods for, for Civilization. Uh, there was this one mod I played that pretty much turned Civ IV into a uh, full fledged uh, action, uh, uh, tactical like RPG with progression <laughs> uh, and like a sci fi theme. That it was actually really good. Uh, it was a completely different game. Like it used the Civ IV engine, but they basically just made. A turn-based RPG, a tactical RPG, in a mod. Using That's the game pretty cool. It. Yeah, uh, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and I've definitely, I've definitely seen some crazy mods for like custom Civs and like Zip Five. Like I saw one. I saw a few that were like Metal Gear based. Oh yeah. <laughs> so ah yes, the giant could, walkers. Yeah, so you could play as your leader could be freaking Solid Snake, <laughs> or oh my big gosh. boss and. Really funny stuff.
0: Outer Haven. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I think, I think that's 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 kind of a, a nice overview of the Civ series.
1: Yeah. Uh, did we want to talk about like other four X games that we played?
0: Uh, we could.
1: Yeah. Because I've, I have. I haven't really played that many, I and one of the reasons why I haven't played that many is because when I play one, I'm comparing it to Civ the entire time. Yeah. Like, Civ has, is so genre-defining for me. Um, like, I tried playing Endless Legend, because uh, that looked really cool, but it... I didn't like... It was it was even more micro, to where, like, you could, like, outfit, cert- outfit your units and, like... Com- completely changed squads and it also had like uh fully controllable like combat oh. as well where it, when two fought you would, like move them around this little mini map it had some really cool ideas around like neutral neutral factions and having a bunch of races that had unique like really really unique um play styles like very very different stuff but i just never didn't call it on for me and the only other one that i've Sunk any amount of time into really is uh, Master of Orion two, Ooh, but that nice. had the same Civ three problem where I was way too young and stupid to be playing that game without a manual, so I never <laughs>
2: figured it out. Yeah, um, I played Stellaris, and I definitely like that game. Stellaris was pretty fun, um, just because you could pretty much pour it in and make it feel flavor accurate. All your favorite sci fi races. You want to make something that's basically the Borg? You can do that. You want to make something that's basically one of those races from the Warhammer forty K universe? You can do that, and uh, the way that they design the the um, uh, both the the race creator, uh, you know, allowing you to fit them in flavor wise, and uh, uh, as well even the unit creator, uh, you could sink hours and hours into the unit creator and basically make uh, <laughs> make your ultimate sci fi fantasy dreams come true, and then. The battles themselves were quite interesting because they really would, um, they felt as though you really were, uh, the, uh, overseer of an empire and you didn't need to worry too, too much about the micro stuff. Um, you could take advantage of the micro to really change the tide of a battle, but also just by pure numbers, you can go in there and, uh. and and cause some real damage Mm -hmm. um and with Stellaris there tended to be a lot of cool decisions along the way um which you know the only game that that has really integrated as much has been beyond earth but you know there'd constantly be the results of uh of these random events which you would get through surveying so you'd be surveying planets stars asteroid fields And it really defined the flavor of uh, who you were as a leader. You know, are you xenophobically blustering your way through uh, these diplomatic and uh, exploration events, you know, pillaging, murdering, and just taking what you think is yours? Or are you going the diplomatic route? And a lot of the expansions really uh, expand on your ability to to dive into that. Now, the one thing that I'll say about that, though, is that the game was just caught, it's it's constantly changing, and if you were with Stellaris since the beginning until now, you'd be like, yeah, I know. it's a completely different game. It is completely different. Um, and that's one game developer who's not afraid to, like, go under the hood and keep ripping parts out of the ship of Theseus until it's no longer the ship of Theseus and it's something, you know, quite different than what it started out with. But still definitely highly, highly, highly rated.
0: Yeah. Um the only other uh, the only other turn-based 4X game that I have much experience with is uh, Galactic Civilizations 3. Um, like Civilization, it is of course a 4x game, uh, but as you might guess from the title, it's space themed. So instead of conquering, you know, a map, you're conquering planets on a uh, sort of galaxy or a galactic map. Um, it's a cool game. I liked it, but I honestly I, I couldn't get into it as much as I got into Civ uh, because Galactic Civilizations Three. So there's 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 a couple things that set it apart. Um, first of all, there are different different like race different species right different alien civilizations that you play as, and they have v- they have very different play styles that work with their abilities, and so each. Each civilization plays very differently, which is, which is actually, that's cool. Like that, that, I like that. Uh, and then also one of the things that, uh, galactic civilization is kind of known for is that it's AI. It's AI is actually really good at the game. Um, uh, shockingly good. In fact, the AI will be basically making strategic and diplomatic moves uh, in a way, in the way that an actual human might, uh, which the AI in Civilization absolutely does not. <laughs> um, I don't know how the developers for Galactic Civilizations were able to make like, such a good AI, but they did. Uh, unfortunately, that means that if you are not very good at the game, you are going to lose! <laughs> it is a much harder game in single player uh, than uh, Civilization is. Uh, even even if you're playing on the easier difficulties, because like Civilization, it doesn't actually adjust the AI. Uh, and in terms of what the AI is programmed to do, it just changes the uh, resource buffs and resource nerfs. Uh, and so because of this, if, on, on easy settings, the AI in Galactic Civilization 3 is still making very smart moves, um, even if it's got 50% less resources than you do. Uh, and it's good enough that it's actually going to crush new players, uh, in my experience, which is probably why I didn't play it that much because I just couldn't actually do well at the game. <laughs> um, but it's a very deep, uh, it's a very deep forex game, much like much like Civ, uh, but it's much more focused on uh, diplomacy, I would say, uh, partly because even in single, even if you're playing on your own. Uh, the AI is actually able to make long-term diplomatic strategies, taking into account what the other civilizations have done to it in terms of, like, declaring war and expanding near them. Uh, and it, it feels... The game feels a lot more vibrant and alive because of this. It, even playing against the AI, it feels much more like a game of Civ against other players, other real players, uh, which is great. But, like I said... Uh, it's a hard game to get into because I found that it was a bit more obtuse than Civilization is in terms of understanding how to interact with uh, the depth of the game. Um, but yeah, it's also really cool. Also, it has cool sci fi designs spaceships, alien races, uh, gal- gal- galaxies, and stuff. Yeah. The game looks cool. The game looks cool. That sounds great. Yeah, it is a bit older now, but. Mm-hmm.
1: I think I might have gotten it for free. You probably did. On Epic or something.
0: Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few other... There's also real-time, quote-unquote, real-time 4X games. I think there was one... Sins of a Solar Empire. Sins of a Solar Empire is one. Although it, it... I didn't really like Sins of a Solar Empire that much. I couldn't get into it. I don't know
2: what it was. And then there was the Star Wars equivalent Empire War. I really liked Empire War. And they've
0: come out actually with some great mods for it. That one was interesting because it literally it literally dropped... Like, when you had combat on a planet, you would literally drop into, like, a more traditional RTS style of gameplay. Yeah. Uh, it actually is interesting now that I think about that, especially when we were talking earlier about uh, another game. Uh, but... It would be interesting to see a hybrid of uh Civ, of the Civ four and Civ five six kind of style of gameplay f- for the combat where maybe instead of because one of the interesting things about Civ four was you know that you would basically be a military engagement was really it was really uh putting it was really com- uh, putting like the economic decisions. Of how you invested in your military more directly against each other, as opposed to like more tactical engagement. Uh, whereas the the newer Civ Five and Six style of combat is it's really a lot it's it's much more of a tactical it's much much more of a tactical thing as opposed to a a, 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 a big it's a, less of a strategic focus, um, and. It might be interesting to see a bit of a hybrid where maybe you have like a battalion, right? And you you agglomerate your units into the battalion, so to speak, on the main map, and you send it off to engage in conflict. But then when it actually engages, instead of staying in the traditional Civ map, you know, you drop into like a tactical map, more like something out of a Fire Emblem game or an Advance Wars game, and then... Fight against you know the other group of enemies on this sort of smaller map might be an interesting interesting way of engaging with a turn based uh, 4x combat system. Mm. It would be different. I don't think I've played any game that does that specifically.
1: Uh, not turn based. The Total War games does that real time. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's what I mean. Like sort of the same thing where we were just talking about the uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that that empire at war was basically like that where like you had the macro 4X view, but then battles were actually uh, like a traditional RTS. And so it would be interesting to see uh, a 4X game that's kind of turn-based where you have like the 4X view where you're doing all the normal 4X things, but then the actual combat is uh played out in a uh yeah, yeah, more of a traditional uh tactical uh, style like i was
1: saying earlier like endless legend did that but uh that combined with how like micro everything else in the game was as well like everything just felt it the game truly was endless because everything just took (laughs) freaking forever (laughs)
0: so mostly it's just it's a it occurs to me it's a pacing issue yeah it occurs to me because that's that is my biggest complaint about The change to Civ 5 and 6. It's just that when you're going to war, the game slows down dramatically, and I don't like the way it impacts the pacing. Uh, Being in war in Civ 4 was much less of a uh, change of pace. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Speaking of a change of pace, perhaps we pace write out this room
2: and end this podcast sounds like an excellent idea I think we've covered from A to Z we have c- civilization we, we the full annals of history
0: <laughs> oh yeah 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 so, so uh, yeah I hope you all enjoyed this podcast uh, we love civilization it's a great game series absolute classic definitely recommend you play one of them yeah definitely it doesn't At really matter. Once. They're all very, they're all similar enough that if yeah. you if you like one of them, you'll probably more or less like all of them. Um, and like the newer
1: Civ games are definitely, they're more beginner friendly than they, they ever have been. They are. Yeah. Of, one game we didn't uh, bring up was uh, Civ Rev, Civ- Civilization Revolution. Um, I didn't play that, but that was supposed to be like a super beginner friendly like console it version.
0: was weird. I didn't like it.
2: Yeah, you know what? Civ was, it's definitely, it's got the training wheels on, so if that appeals to you, go for it. But if you feel like you enjoy a challenge with your, you know, turn-based strategy games, you can definitely dive into some of the other ones. Mm -hmm. And if you're a masochist who wants to discover the the, the depths of your friendships, uh, go find the very simple analog for Civ, Diplomacy. You can play that by uh, email or (laughs) web online, and... uh, uh it uh it cranks the diplomacy side no, of... no.
0: diplomacy ruins <laughs> friendships much more
2: effectively than Civ. Yeah.
0: seriously yeah. i play i did a play by i did a play by uh I, I did a play by like facebook messenger uh game of uh diplomacy right when the pandemic was like starting yeah. with some uh with a friend some friends from school and oh my oh my it was a disaster I, I was so mad. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so upset with people because in one it was one set of orders per day, okay? Yep. And every single day was just people trying to screw with each other and get the other players to make bad decisions and goading people over messenger and it was fun but absolutely ruthless and and infuriating that's
2: awesome yeah Uh, i remember i I heard about this game first um it was uh, at one of my favorite uh places to buy board games from in um the guy would actually uh, let people play the games in his store and he said this is the one game I'm banning from my store. He's like I've I've never seen people like get their
0: get their uh, Jimmy's Russell Okay, okay. Diplo- <laughs> di- di- Diplomacy can di- di- do. Okay, Diplomacy <laughs> calling diplomacy a 4X game is like not quite right, but diplomacy distills the absolute like most simple essence of like the bullshit political intrigue and lying to your opponents yes. to try and goad them into bad decisions—that is the entire game. Yeah. There is nothing else to do in diplomacy except mind games. You know, it's only mind I games. I haven't
2: ever played diplomacy, and I so want to. You know what? I I would strongly consider playing with you guys. I know it'd be a blast. I I, I can I can see some potential possibilities of how it go, and I bet it would be fun. We should see if we can find a group. Uh, uh, make, make a group for that <laughs> I, I'd be uh, done.
0: oh my god we're just yeah we can just we, uh,
2: this is gonna be the end of the podcast we <laughs> can do a
0: special we can do a, a special podcast series of uh, you know narra- each of us like narrating what happened in separately right from our own perspectives for each day that actually might be interesting that sounds amazing
2: all right, let's... coming
0: coming soon to a podcast coming, near you. Coming, we soon, are coming,
2: this. coming soon, coming right now to our, to a Google Doc.
0: Yeah, com- coming soon. The the podcast ceases to exist because of a high concept play by play diplomacy uh, diplomacy what, 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 uh, commentary oh, yes. as we play. Oh yes, that's awesome. Uh, well,
1: speaking of other content that uh, we made, we uh, put up a couple more videos on the YouTube. We did uh, two different tier lists for the Advance Wars DS commanding officers. One about how they work in gameplay and mechanically wise, and the other for the music. How, how bumping their tunes are.
0: Yeah. Uh, spoiler, a lot of the tunes are bumping.
2: Definitely. And uh, Nintendo's bringing back the Advance Wars series. So uh, if the the itch to uh, play something strategy Nintendo-wise, uh, you're feeling that. Do check out our, uh, our, our playlist uh, if you're going to go check out the new Advance War game that's coming out. Well, they yeah, walls. I think we
0: actually we had a reaction <laughs> video to the Nintendo Direct also on our YouTube channel where you can up. watch us lose our shit when they announce <laughs> that game.
2: Yep,
1: <laughs> definitely. And if you'd like to get into contact with us you can always email us at angrysunzone at outlook.com or give us a DM on Twitter at Angry Sun Zone. and just you know, let us let's, let's hang out and talk talk
0: shop. Hell yeah! All right. all right, see you all. See you all next time. Hope you all have a great summer.